Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin, and my guest today is a lawyer for one of the largest companies in the world, Mr. Damarn Berkeley. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. First of all, it's an honor to talk to you because this one of the first, you're actually the first lawyer that I got a chance to talk to on a podcast, so thank you for agreeing to do it. <laughs> I'll try to live up to the hype. <laughs> Now, me and you, we've talked before, and um, when we were talking, you mentioned that you grew up in Dallas as a kid. Now, what was that like? Yeah, I grew up, uh, some call it the sunny south side of Dallas, a place called Bunton. Um, And uh, you could say I grew up on the other side of the tracks, like literally. Um, We uh, grew up I was raised by my grandmother. Uh, we lived in uh, public housing. Uh, Rose Terrace is the name of the place. They actually have since torn it down. I uh, went back a, a few months ago uh, before the COVID stuff and saw where it was just an empty field where uh, I once lived. But yeah, growing up, you know, it was, uh, I guess, your typical inner city, uh, southern inner city uh, childhood. Um, it, was, it was good. You mentioned that the, the the place you live was torn down. So how did you feel once you went back and saw that? Uh, so the first time I, I saw it, I, I just felt hurt <laughs> uh, because there were so many uh, memories, so much legacy there. My parents actually grew up in the same, I mean, my mom at least, grew up in the same neighborhood. Uh, my grandmother, you know, raised her and, and her uh, four siblings uh, before uh, raising me when I, when I came around um, and just to see it like all gone, like evaporated, like it was never there, um, made me feel uh, definitely sad and hurt, empty, you know. Um, and it was after my grandmother actually passed. So, you know, it was like uh, one of those lingering memories uh, that was no longer there. Um, so, yeah. Oh, sorry to hear about your grandmother passing. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, she died in uh, 2005. Um, uh, and that was actually around the time that I had my daughter um, uh, and was graduating from law school um, and was uh, getting ready to try to move back uh, to Dallas. Oh, you were actually going to move back to Dallas? Yeah, so when I graduated law school, I actually moved down to Tampa uh, for a year to work for a judge. And my plan was to go back to Dallas, uh, mainly to be around family. Uh, and then also, uh, uh, it was great, you know, career opportunities there. Uh, and I did end up taking a job in Dallas. And I lived there for eight years before coming out here to California. Okay. Okay. So you said you had the typical Southern childhood. Some people like me from the North wouldn't... <laughs> Will have no idea what that means. So I want you to describe exactly what that means. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, summers, I actually go to the country where it was uh, truly Southern, uh, where my great grandmother lived, a place called Nacogdoches, Texas. And uh, we'd spend time uh, running around outside. Uh, she had one of those houses where if she was making uh, tea cakes, She'd be like, don't run because you're going to make my cakes drop. 
Uh, <laughs> so, uh, that was definitely uh, more of the country. Uh, but even like in Dallas, you know, um, it's slower pace than, you know, a lot of uh, other inner cities. You know, when I think about inner city New York, inner city, um, uh, you know, L.A., um, some of these other places, uh, it's definitely a higher pace than like inner city Dallas. Dallas is a, you know, I think Southern city and, and the pace of life is just, you know, a little bit slower. Now, being that you were in the inner city, how would you describe the educational system where you were at? Yeah. So I'm a product of Dallas independent school district. Uh, when I was first starting out, uh, uh, the school was the same school my mom went to and my uncles and my aunts and, um, you know, it hadn't been updated very much. And, um, uh, it was, it was, it was cool. I mean, it was all black, you know, cause we, we were uh, all on free and reduced lunch. Uh, and Dallas was very segregated, uh, both racially, but also socioeconomically. And, uh, uh, you know, I went to school with other people who were situated like I was, um, uh, I guess around what was that the fourth grade there was a desegregation order that uh, came down that said Dallas hadn't been complying with uh, with the court orders and it it required uh, us to be bused to other schools that were predominantly white so my fourth grade year I, I went from being able to walk across the railroad track to school and had to uh, catch a bus every day uh, to go across town to uh predominantly white school uh and and there you know it was it was a crazy year um i was happy the next year when they brought us back to our home schools and when they did that they had transformed so to speak transformed our home school into what they call a learning center so we had all this latest and greatest um computer equipment and we had you know they poured more teacher resources in uh, and they developed this all-day tag program, talented and gifted program for uh, students who were high achieving. And um, I was a part of that stuff, uh, part of that program. And uh, from there on, I mean, you know, it was it was great. I mean, it wasn't horrible like my first uh, K through three. Uh, I had some great teachers, uh, and being in an all-black environment was, uh, you know, definitely reassuring for my confidence. Uh, but coming back to the revamp school was even better uh, with all those extra resources. Uh, and then after that, uh, for middle school, I was still in public school, but they had magnets or academies for middle school where they ship people from around the city uh, into one school that was uh, uh, for, for a particular concentration. So mine was talented and gifted. So I went to uh, Spence Tag Academy. And uh, there I had students from all over Dallas. I, I remember there was one student whose dad was a Nobel Prize winner wow. uh, in chemistry, right? So yeah, white, Hispanic, black, everybody was mixed. Uh, it wasn't very socioeconomically mixed. So I was still one of the poorest students there. Uh, but you know, it was definitely racially mixed. Um, and uh, from there, I went to high school at, at the public school that was a magnet as well, uh, was in their science cluster and then graduated and, and went to college. So I, I would say, you know, uh, my education, uh, I would put it up against, you know, a lot of other people who even went to private school. 
because I was in these special programs. I'm gonna go back to that to that year you had. It was the fourth grade, correct? Yes. Where they, where they changed you to the to the to the mostly white school. So was that a? Did you deal with like racism? Was that a tough train? You said that was a pretty tough transition. Was it like racism or? Yeah. So I would I would say like uh, K through three, I was the uh, definitely the highest achieving kid in my class. And even in the fourth grade, when I got shipped over, I was doing really well in school uh, academically, right? Um, and they had this program this talented and gifted program, but it was, it was a pull out, what they call a pull out program. So it wasn't all day. They just pull you out uh, for like two hours a day or something like that. Um, uh, and, and you get enhanced learning. And I remember uh, going to my teachers and saying, Hey, you know, why, why am I not in this program? I think I uh, have done well. Uh, and, and it was just like, well, you know, uh, there's not a place for you. And I remember feeling like, you know, um, uh, was it because I was black? Was it because I was being bust? Why was that, right? Um, I never, you know, I didn't have the advocate uh, of, of like parents who were familiar with the system and that kind of thing. So uh, it just kind of went by, uh, that whole year just kind of went by in that regard. Uh, as far as like racism, so that's kind of, could be considered institutional type of racism, right? Um, uh, where they tracked, you know, me as a black student uh, and not put me in these special programs. Uh, but then, you know, just on a personal level, you know, uh, with the kids, uh, I do remember getting in my first fight at school uh, mm -hmm. and it was with a white kid. Um, and I, you know, I'm trying to remember back what exactly happened, uh, but, uh, I feel that it had something to do with race, yeah. uh, you know, because I hadn't had any issues uh, before then in school and uh, no issues with the black kids. Right. Um, at that point. So uh, I can't tell you exactly what happened. I know we didn't get along for some reason and um, he did or said something and he ended up pushing me or maybe I pushed first. I don't recall. Uh, but I, I remember my first fight at school. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you when you got back to your home base school, um, you mentioned that your that you didn't have anybody advocating for you at the at the school that you went to in fourth grade. When you got back to your home base school, were you did you have anybody advocating for you, or it was more like because you were back in your environment, your teachers and the educators around you were advocating for you? Yeah, this latter, definitely. I was blessed to have, I mean, don't get me wrong, my grandmother uh, was always a great supporter uh, of me uh, growing up and in school. But at the same time, uh, she wasn't fully plugged into the happenings at the school. Right. Uh, and I will say when I went back, I had, I was blessed to have some really good teachers who uh, really took an interest in me and in my development and uh, really helped me to uh, grow my confidence, grow in my learnings and, and, and really blossom as a student, you know, academically, especially. I don't know if you can answer this, but do you know what was the reason behind them actually making the school systems better? I mean, it's a good thing, but do you know what went into that decision of actually improving the schools? And I guess you say making them more like independent, which helps you. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, they Dallas, you know, again, that was this court order, uh, you know, and, and, you know, everybody knows the legacy of Jim Crow South, the, the segregation separate, but quote unquote equal, uh, and how that was never really achieved. And uh, so at, in the 80, early 80s is when this was happening in Dallas, at least, uh, that was filling the repercussions from the 60s but hadn't fully uh, uh, done what they were supposed to do. Uh, the, the court, the U.S. District Court there mandated Dallas take certain actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they bust folks, there was a lot of complaining. And, and it wasn't just from the white uh, families that were getting these black kids shipped to their school. It was also black families like saying, why do we have to get our kids shipped across town to go to school, um, so there was a lot of a lot of um, I guess complaining about that, and the school district decided to create these learning centers and these magnet programs that would uh, help fight the unequal part of the separate. If you if you get what I'm saying, so even though it was our neighborhood school, um, we we weren't uh, just given resources commensurate with our uh our socioeconomic status right they they decided that hey look we'll pour money into these schools that are in these poor communities so that they get the best educational opportunities okay and that's what so did you have to test into these schools or you were just placed there I was just placed there uh, because it was my home school. I think they had our school. There was another on my side of town that they made into a quote learning center. Uh, and there may have been a couple others around the city. Uh, but within the school, we had uh, uh, all day tag, talented and gifted classes mm-hmm. where they segregated the high achieving students. Okay. Uh, and part of that criteria was definitely uh, standardized test scores and stuff like that. So uh, I guess within the school, we had uh, special programs that were, were targeted to uh, more advanced students. But the school as a whole for average students was still much better than it was before the busing happened, right? So they had the computer lab that everybody went to in school. You didn't have to be in the TAG program to go to the computer lab or to have these musical instruments and this enhanced learning environment. At what age did would you say you started to take your education serious? Oh man, uh, probably kindergarten or pre-kindergarten. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will say it, it unfortunately has not always been consistent serious. So you know I started serious because uh, I, I remember my aunt <clears throat> used to be over at our preschool and. Um, uh, maybe that was part of it. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I just love this. Right. So I always, you know, really enjoyed school. Um, so, I mean, you know, the taking it serious part was more of, you know, me just enjoying what I was doing. Right. Uh, and then and when I got back after the busing in the in the fifth grade, I, like I said, I had teachers who were really pouring into me. And we had this special program called Project Seed, which was a math program that uh, uh, involved people who were uh, mathematicians coming in once a week to talk to these elementary school students about algebra, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and 
I really, really enjoyed that because of the approach that they took to the learning. Okay. Uh, so I was definitely serious about my learning back then. But then I hit bumps in the road like later on uh, that made me, you know, uh, not be as serious as I, I was in those earlier years. Would you say you like lost motivation or? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Middle school, you know, everybody's trying to find themselves. And for me, um, you know, I was shipped to this talented and gifted academy where you have people from all over the city, basically. Mm -hmm. So you had the creme de la creme of the whole city of Dallas. Like I said, one, one student there, her dad was a uh, Nobel uh, Prize winner for chemistry. Uh, so, you know, these are people who have resources and who are smart, right? Um, so I went from being like the superstar of my school to being just one of the, of the, uh, just one of the kids, essentially. I mean, you know, everybody was smart. Uh, and I think I had somewhat of an identity crisis, right? It's like, man, you know, I'm not the smartest uh, or whatever, you know, I had this imposter syndrome, I'm sure that was going on. Uh, I could put names to it now, uh, having lived life a little bit more and, and, and heard about these things. But back then it was just more like, man, this is not, I don't know how I fit in, where I fit in. Uh, and my grades like tanked um, mm -hmm. my, uh, my first year there and didn't improve that much the next year. I mean, they proved some, improved some, uh, but you know, it was, it was just, and it wasn't because it was extremely difficult. It was more that I was not feeling the motivation and not feeling my place. And I wasn't getting the uh, support at school that I was used to back in elementary school, right? Uh, so I think my, my perspective may have changed a little bit in middle school, uh, like grades and everything aren't everything. Um, and from that point on, I think I became more social, uh, but I got back on track. I mean, I never fully derailed academically. You know, I, like I said, I still do the work. Um, uh, so that when I started high school, I actually started doing the work a little bit more uh, and, and being a little more serious, even though I wasn't like totally uh, as serious as I had been years earlier, right? Uh, so. I'm gonna I'm a fast forward you to college. Where okay. did you actually attend college? Uh, so I went to Florida A&M University, historically black college in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, right down the street from FSU, the Seminoles. Uh, we were the Mighty Rattlers. Um, I was in the engineering school, which was actually joint with FSU. Uh, it was the FAMU FSU College of Engineering. Wow. So your, your, your major was engineering? Yes, electrical engineering. Oh, okay. And you And that's what you got your bachelor's in, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. But then something crazy happened. <laughs> <laughs> You decided to become a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting uh, decision. Um, so, huh. when I was an engineering student, I actually got this nice scholarship package. Uh, it was full scholarship and uh, room and board, books, everything. And it also included a summer internship. Um, and my company was um, another major, uh, I'll, I'll just say the name, Lockheed Martin. Uh, it's a defense contractor. Um, and it was, uh, you know, 
nice place to go every summer to kind of learn and practice engineering. And I, I started going there after my freshman year uh, to intern. And I quickly realized that uh, I didn't want to be this for the rest of my life. Uh, but I didn't know exactly what else I really wanted to be. Uh, so I, I continued, you know, uh, with my studies, continued going there every summer. Um, uh, did well in college overall, although I, again, hit some bumps in the road, but uh, ended up graduating and working for that company afterwards. Uh, and during that time of work, I was really trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my life, so to speak, for, for my career. And I started counseling things out, business school, uh, being a doctor, all that stuff. And law appealed to me the most uh, because of the, uh, the flexibility with my future career, uh, the fact that if I wanted to go into teaching, I could, the fact that I could help people uh, who were uh, poor like I grew up, you know, all that stuff was swirling in my head uh, and, and said to me, yeah, become a lawyer. So let me ask you, because that's a main, because I mean, you were in a company, a good company, Lockheed Martin is one of the most successful companies out there. You invested a lot of time and energy into getting your degree. Were you actually scared to make this move? Because that's a huge move. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so a couple of things. One is, uh, I, I wouldn't call it scared. And, but I would say it was a big deal, right? To give up this nice little uh, job. And at the time, I actually switched from Lockheed Martin to FedEx uh, when I was making this decision finally. Uh, and at FedEx, I was doing computer programming and that kind of thing. But, but still, I was making decent money at a reputable company and just, you know, like, man, do I really want to give this up? And at the time, I was getting serious with this woman who became my wife. Uh, and, and, you know, it was like, are you, are you serious? You're going to switch totally? But at that point in time, I had already known that I wanted to do something. Right. And it was just a matter of pulling the trigger. And then plus, I think, you know, I, I think there's benefit to having grown up poor because I'm like, you know, no matter what I do, I, I'll be financially better off than I was growing up. So <laughs> and it wasn't so bad back then. So <laughs> if 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 uh, if I could just do a little bit better than I was back as a kid, I'd be all right, you know. Uh, so it, it wasn't as scary uh, from that perspective, but I did count the costs. I did count the costs. That you know what? The, it's funny that you mentioned the, um, the your upbringing because now that that presents an interesting dynamic. And I'm and I'm just I want you to walk with me if you can. Had you grown up in a different environment, maybe like more successful, and you had it really planned out, do you think you could have made that move? Mm. You know, that's a good question. Uh, I think because I had no kids, I probably could have. And I actually may have been even more daring because I would have a social safety net. Okay. So I would have my parents to fall back on, right, to uh, to help me if I zag when I should have zigged. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I think having a, a, a family background that um, that is well off allows you to be even more risky with, mm -hmm. with some of your decisions. 
Okay. How how many years in were you when you made the change? So I was an engineer for about five years. Wow. Yeah. So you so were you be, when you were engineer? Was the plan to continue your education? Oh, so yeah, actually, when I graduated from, uh, got my bachelor's and started working for Lockheed Martin, I uh, started working on my master's degree while I was working full time. So I was still in school. uh, And uh, it took me about, I think, three or four years to get my master's. uh, And I got a master's in engineering management. And I was doing that part time while I was working full time. Um, uh, So, you know, I I, kind of never left school in a way. Um, even after I got my master's, I started teaching at a community college hmm. uh, while I was working full time at uh, FedEx. Did you have anybody to consult with before you made the decision to switch to lawyer to be a lawyer? Yeah, I talked to uh, you know I got some counsel from lawyers who were already out there. Uh, one of the things I was trying to figure out um, is what law school. Um, you know, if I wanted to become a teacher, where, where should I go? If I wanted to be a law professor. Because uh, I wanted that to be an option, uh, and I remember talking to a, a gentleman who was—I uh, think he was a professor at a law school in uh, in Central Florida. Uh, I forget how I got his information. Uh, maybe it was a friend of a friend, uh, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, you know, you got to go to a top ten law school if you really want to teach." And actually, you know, you might want to go to Harvard, Yale, or Stanford because that's those are going to give you the best chance. For teaching and all this other stuff, um, uh, but his advice was really was really solid and uh, it was helpful uh, from that regard. And I talked to other lawyers too um, who had been doing different uh, kinds of law, like criminal law and that kind of thing. Where'd you end up going to law school? Uh, I went to Duke. Oh wow! Which was, um, um, you know. They gave me uh, more money than uh, the other schools, which was cool. Uh, <laughs> and they were in the South. Uh, you know, uh, I remember going around visiting law schools and it was April and we went to Chicago. We went to uh, New York and in both places, it was like freezing. And I'm like living in Orlando at the time with shorts on every day going to these places in April and having to walk backwards because the wind is blowing so hard. Uh, I remember Waikita was like, uh, my wife, she was like, uh, yeah, have we heard from Duke yet? <laughs> I was like, not yet, not yet. So she made it known where she wanted you to go, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when we got back from that trip, I remember the uh, uh, we got the acceptance letter uh and uh uh it may even been an email i I forget uh and it had like an amount for financial aid and i remember it was lower than what another school was giving me and i was like you know i I guess i need to you know practice my negotiation skills so i ended (laughs) up uh, calling up uh (laughs) uh, the admissions office at duke and was like hey look you know i i I think we you all are you know uh definitely at the top of my list uh near the top but um, financial aid, can you come up you know, a little bit, you know? Uh, and it, it's, it's interesting coming from um, at being a professional before going to law school, my financial aid was all messed up because I had a high income uh, and it was all mine, mm-hmm. right? Whereas somebody who's a student, you know, they have a lower income. And, uh, but in any event, they gave me a scholarship. It wasn't, you know, it was um, enough to cover 
a third of my law school tuition. So it was good. At any point during law school, during this process, did you question your decision? Um, during, before law school, I mean, like during law school, uh, I did not. Okay. I actually really enjoy law school. I'm one of the few. <laughs> what, what, what did you enjoy about it? Uh, one of the few. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, I mean, for me, it was like this whole new world. Uh, you know, being an engineer, you know, it's all about getting the right answer. All about, you know, going through the, the, the calculus and doing, about, you know, all the calculations and being precise. And uh, with the law, uh, it's so many gray areas and it was so new to me. It was a lot of reading. Uh, I remember I hadn't read really anything before law school. And I remember uh, uh, the first semester going and they were like assigning the books and it was like a stack that was, you know, uh, a couple of feet tall. And I was thinking like, oh, we're just going to, you know, pick, go through and pick different parts of the book. And they were like, no, no, we're going through every word in this book and every word in that book, and every word in the other book. So I was like, oh, OK, so this is a little different. Uh, so uh, uh, but it, it was just a whole new world. And I, I just really loved learning and, and absorbing um, all that I could back then. So I'm a, we, we, we talked about you switching over. And, that, and as I mentioned in the intro, you're a lawyer for one of the biggest companies in the world. So what was it like to get that offer from them, like to know that you went to, you were, you were an engineer, you made a, you made a bold move to say, I'm going to switch careers, you put in the work and you actually achieved the goal. And then you got an offer letter from one of the biggest companies in the world. So what was the feeling like to know that your decision was validated? Hmm. Yeah. And, and there were a couple of uh, uh, stops along the way to my current job uh, that uh, were just as equally uh, uh, like great for me as far as validation. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's funny you ask because we really did. My wife and I really did do a cost analysis and said, how long would it take us to break even? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's like uh, three years of no income. Uh, that's in the whole, you know, so many, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, how long would it take me, you know, to try to, you know, to come back to even. And so when I, when I did get, uh, uh, the jobs, uh, that were, um, you know, um, good jobs, <laughs> uh, I, I was happy. It was like, all right, uh, this did work out the way we had planned, the way we had prayed about it. You know, it, it worked out. Uh, so uh, it was a satisfying feeling. I mean, actually, I felt a lot of that even before then, because I do summers at these big firms uh, and uh, uh, getting the summer job itself was, uh, you know, one of those big accomplishments. Right. Uh, and I, and I, I remember feeling that. Uh, all along the way of law school, not even just at the end, but even during law school, feeling that like, all right, I've done the right thing and it's working out. Because you've done so much, you've accomplished so much. What's the most important thing that you're looking to instill into your children? 
Uh, well, I, I, I kind of take a little issue at the first part because I don't know that I've accomplished so much, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, I, I have been blessed, uh, you know, and I guess for my kids, I, you know, I, I want them to be confident. I want them to be humble. Um, I want them to do what's right. Um, you know, it, a lot of it has nothing to do with career, has nothing to do with um, uh, the amount of money they'll make. It's, I think it's about a mindset of them uh, knowing who they are and whose they are. You, I'm a, I'm a, I must make this statement before I ask my last question. Uh, maybe whether you believe it or not, you have accomplished a lot because I mean, you went to school, you know, you, you came from a humble beginning, you achieved the, you achieved your degree, became an engineer, and then made a bold decision to become a lawyer. And now you're one of the, you're a successful lawyer for one of the biggest companies in the world. So in my opinion, you accomplished a lot. <laughs> so, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But with all that said, what is you, what would you say you're the most proud of? Hmm. Oh wow! You should have given me this question before I uh, uh, go on. I didn't want you to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you, I don't want your answer to be genuine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, whew. You know, I think it's being um, a father who is uh, loved by his children and a husband who's loved by his wife. That's a great answer. <laughs> That's a great answer. See, that was easy. <laughs> 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 but look, I want to take the time to thank you, man. Um, I know, you know, if we got a chance to meet when we re when, I, when my family relocated. And I want to thank you, thank you and your family for being open and being so welcoming to my family. So I truly appreciate that. Oh yeah, anytime, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, is it Jay? Is 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 Jay? We have to do this code switch. Oh, oh, hey, Jay. <laughs> Look, since you did the podcast, I'm gonna let it slide this time. <laughs> <laughs> But I really do. I appreciate you lending me your time. And again, congratulations for everything because on the outside looking in, you've done a great job with family and career. So I definitely salute you. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. And definitely. thanks for talking to my daughter about podcasting too. Oh, definitely. We'll we'll definitely talk some more as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll make sure it happens for her. All right. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Thank everyone for the continuous support. You all have a great day.